0: If you would, please, open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 28. We're going to take chapters 28 and 29 today. The subject is the priesthood. Um, I'm not sure if I've told you recently, and if you're here for the very first time at Calvary Chapel, North Country, um, we welcome you, again, in, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But many times, you may not know, but the book of Exodus is my favorite book. And as you continue to study the book of Exodus, I'm sure you're finding it's your favorite book too as well. As you continue to read through and follow along as we take a look at, uh, in the book of Exodus. We come now to the chapter 28 and 29 and having described the tabernacle last week. And not only the tabernacle itself but its furniture within. The Lord then gave instructions to Moses concerning the priesthood. That was to preside over the nation's religious life that was surrounding that, as in the, in the desert there, as you, we saw a picture last week for those who were watching. Now, why did God establish the priesthood 1,500 years prior to Jesus coming, our high priest, our great priest, our Savior? Why was that? Well, as we can see here in the scripture, and as we continue to look at what the priesthood is to do, and we see it also in Leviticus and other books, we find that the high priest and the priests themselves that support the high priest um, ministered in there in the tabernacle complex in a variety of ways. Let me give you those key things that they were responsible for here in the ministry. In the ministry, they were responsible for the burn incense of the golden altar twice daily, they were to maintain the lampstand, the menorah that we would refer to it today. They were to make sure that the oil stayed in that and continued to always be lit nonstop. The table of the bread of the presence there in the holy place were to make sure that that was ch- uh, maintained and turned over with new bread, the 12 loaves, every single week. Maintain and offer sacrifices on the altar of burnt offering and they were to bless the people. They were to continually be praying for the people throughout each day. Plus, they were to preside over civil cases. We see that when we get to Numbers in Deuteronomy. And they were to instruct the people in the law. We see and also in Deuteronomy as well. And then they were to give encouragement in times of war. That is also noted in Deuteronomy. So as my old pastor would say, Cody, it's not easy to be in the ministry. And I'm sure Moses, when he received this information from God, Moses told his brother, his big brother Aaron, it is not going to be easy to be in the ministry. Because your life was devoted to the, not only to God, but to the people of God. And it is not easy to be in the ministry. It is a sacrifice. You will do things that other people are not willing to do, but they're not called to do that. But Moses had to give the word to Aaron and his his sons that they were called by God to do these things for God and for God's people. So we see here in this chapter 28 and 29 the actual, the priesthood and the responsibilities right down to their clothing or their garments that they were to wear while they were doing these things that God is about to describe. First here in Exodus chapter 28 verses 1 and 2 we see the purpose of the garments here. We're in, now take Aaron your brother, Moses here. Take Aaron, your big brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priests. Make note of that phrase, minister to me as priest, because he will say that right up front three times, but three more times through the remaining of these two chapters. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar, you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. Why are you going to make these, Aaron? I mean, Moses, why are you going to make this for your brother Aaron and for his sons? Is because they're going to show, be dressed up very specifically to bring the glory and the beauty of that the one that they serve, and they serve, they minister to me as priests. So the priesthood of Israel was not earned. They couldn't earn, they couldn't buy their way into this priesthood position. They couldn't go to school for this priesthood position and get their piece of paper, put the plaque up and automatically say they're a priest. That they're a pastor or they're a reverend just because they got a piece of paper and from some school that trained them up. But no, they were, that, uh, they were not to inspire for any of this ambition to be in a position of priesthood. It could only be inherited by birthright here. One must be born into a priestly family. Aaron and his sons were from the tribe of Levi. And that was the tribe that God called for his purpose to minister to his people. The priesthood was no place for ambition or for self-glory. It was only earned into by God's call and invitation to into this position. It's a God's calling. It's God inviting and bringing, and they had to make a choice to follow God's call on their life. In the new covenant, our priesthood is also not earned. It is not inspired to. We are priests because of a new birth into Jesus' priestly family, and we see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. So here we see Aaron and his four sons were to minister to me, the Lord. Later on in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Nadab and Abihu died under God's judgment because they didn't do it God's way and God removed them from the ministry. And when they had happened, the Arianic priesthood had to continue because God said it was going to. And as they move forward, his next two younger sons, Eliezer, succeeds his father, Aaron, as a high priest. We see that in Numbers chapter 3, verse 4. And also, Ithamar was also raised up and, and becomes one of the priests to help them within the tabernacle. But these were to then not only be in the position to do these things that God is going to lay out for them to do on a daily basis, but the priestly garment was to also be fitting for the position. And in this case, to bring glory and for beauty because there's something glorious and beautiful indeed of what they're about to do because what they're about to do in a place that God outlined was a heavenly place that God said would be established here called the tabernacle. And the the things that they were to do was a representation of who God is in regards to how you come to worship him. And so they were to dress appropriately as well in this case. And so, as glorious it is, and how priestly the services, things they were to do, their garments were to be glorious and beautiful. And see in verse three, verses three and four, they were to what? So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. Make that note. That they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. There's the second time that he is being reminded to Moses to tell the people who, do you, who are you called to and who are you invited to do and that is to minister to the Lord. When you're called into the ministry you don't do in the calling because someone said you're going to do it or because you want to do it because you have some ambition to think you're going to do it. But no, God has clearly made known that you have a calling on your life because he's called you to minister to who? To him. If you're in the ministry, you're called to minister to him, the Lord. And as you minister to him, he leads you to minister to his people the way he would want you to minister to them. But we see that in these Verse four, and these are the garments which you shall make: a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillful woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. Six things he highlights here that they're going to make for the for the uh, for Aaron, the high priest. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, for your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as a priest. Again. He's reminding a third time. We know in the scriptures when there's a continuity of being, hearing the name repeated two or three times or you see the same phrase two or three times, you make note in the scriptures how important that is and you look and say, that is, that is, that is important. Because God has repeated it three times. So as we see here, God promised a very special gifting from the Holy Spirit given to the craftsmen of these garments so many times people say that is not a spiritual gift okay we got that the scripture makes it very clear what spiritual gifts but we also sometimes we forget that the talents or the manual gifts or the manual service that God's called you to do like playing a guitar that is not a spiritual gift But that still requires the Holy Spirit to be filling the man to give him the the power and the wisdom and the ability to play, to do what God's calling to do, to minister to him and to minister to his people. Sometimes people get wrapped up in these, but we need the Holy Spirit in all the things that we do. Think about the job that you have. What kind of service are you going out to be a representation or an ambassador for God in the job that you work? Do you not ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you with his wisdom to be able to have the talents and abilities to do what God's called you to do in this world to be a representation for him? How many times do you go to work not asking for the Holy Spirit to fill you with his wisdom and ability and strength to do the work? And you wonder why you're completely drained at the end of the day and you completely cannot do anything else because you're so physically and mentally and even spiritually drained. Because you have not asked God to help you to be that school teacher, to be that trainer, to be the farmer. Name the profession and ask, do I ask God for his wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit to do the work that God has given me to do? Sometimes we always think it's just in the ministry. We only do that in the church. We only do that when it's a church function or a church thing. No, no. Everything in your life as a child of God is a God thing. And we must remember that. That we serve him by doing the things he's called you to do. And if you keep that in perspective, you will be afresh and filled afresh with his wisdom, his power, and his ability and his peace to do the work that called job that God has called you to do. And so that's where we have to have our mindset as well. So these things are important. He says right up front, I'm going to fill these people, these gifted artisans that I've given the ability, the wisdom to make this garments exactly the way I need them to be for me. For the purpose of of Aaron and his sons to be able to do the work called the priesthood. So what are these elements that we see here? Well, the first one we see in Exodus chapter 28, verses 5 through 14, the ephod. Let's read those verses. They shall take the gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet thread, and fine linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, artistically worked. Now, if you remember, that probably gives you a flashback from last week's teaching because are the same threads and colors and everything that God asked them to make the curtains of the tabernacle, if you remember. So same materials, very important to use, and God very specifically, and they're artistically worked. That means there was tension to details. They didn't haphazardly do what God called them to do. And it shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, and woven uh, fine woven linen. Then you shall take, now keep note of this, shall take two octaves onyx stones and engrave them uh, engrave on them the names of the sons of israel so it's like a signet right a signet ring and you can look at a ring and you can see the names written around that 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 stone on that ring sometimes Well, these things sat right up on the shoulders and these big old onyx stones and on it were the names, six on one side as we will see. Then you shall take the two onyx stones and engrave them on the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order of their birth, in the order of their birth. They're very specifically, which As a side note, more than likely as they marched through the desert, they always marched in the sequence of their birth uh, order. And they camped and they placed their tents in their birth order. So there's God's a God of order and, and people knew when to move out, what place and what order you were supposed to be based on your family, in this case, name. So here on the stones, there's also n- names on each six on each side in their order of their birth. Verse 11, with the work of an engraver in stone. Like the engravings of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. You shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the... ephod as a memorial stones for the sons of israel so aaron shall bear their names before the lord of his two shoulders as a memorial and you shall also make settings of gold and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings so here they are if you picture this you have a garment that's it's uh it's like um a longer—it's the outer part of the uh, garment. Of the, there's three layers to this this outfit, and the first one sat on the outside, and it and just it had a strap, uh, sleeveless, strapless kind of top to here, like an apron-like garment that was made of this gold and blue and purple scarlet threads, and it was uh, and these straps when they came together, they had this gold inlaid onyx stones that were keeping like clasped this together. And on there was the sons of the 12 tribes, or six and six, to make those 12 there. And they again, it was a memorial. It's a, and it represented, the shoulders represents work. So here's the priest coming in and they're representing the people of God's people and the work they're to do. They're carrying the load of and the work of the people here, of, of, the, uh, of the Israelites. Now, this was one of the First ministries of the priest was always, again, for God himself, but the priest was also to be constantly connected to the people. They rested on his shoulders as the high priest, bearing this weight of responsibility. The soldiers are are a place of work, therefore the priest's ministry unto the Lord, he also was to serve for and with the people. That was a reminder all the time. Now you've got that outside kind of a ornate sleeveless apron that it was on the outer portion of this outfit. Then there's this breastplate that le- rested right here and was connected as we will see some gold chains uh, that goes around and keeps it right here. So notice what the purpose is for this. In verses 15 through 30, follow along. You shall make the breastplate of judgment. That's the name. That's the official name of it. Breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod, you sh- shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. So it was about, a, as we will see, a, spand, uh, a, a span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. So it's almost like a nine by nine materials made, and they were folded so it's in uh, together so it's a nice square looking uh, materials and that we'll ha- we'll see how that plays out and we'll sit square on the chest here watch this here and you shall put settings of stones in it four rows of stones so you have four l- rows of stones in each one with three Per row, which is a total of 12 stones. We will see this. And with, very specifically, um, the first row shall be a sardis, a topaz, and an emerald. These shall be the first row. Verse 18, the second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. And in 19, we see the third row is um, uh, jaseth and 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 an amethyst, and the fourth row shall be a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings, and the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes." You shall make uh, chains of the breastplate at the end like braided cords of pure gold. And you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And then you shall put the two braids chains of gold into, in the two rings, which are the ends of the breastplate and the other two. Ends of the uh, of the two braid chains, you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulders straps of the ephod in the front, and you shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate, on the edge of it, which is in the inner side of the, uh, the ephod. Man, God really put a lot of detail into this to make sure they were not missing any exactly how this is gonna look. He's totally into design, right? Uh, He he created the heavens and the earth. Don't you think he's he's attention to details right down to if you ever look at a flower, if you ever looked at a certain creation of an animal, how intricate, look how intricately designed your eye and tell me this breastplate is any problem for him to tell exactly how he wants it. Right. I mean, it's just the way it is. And so we, we see the inner side of the ephod, verse 27, the two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. They shall bind the breastplate by the means of its rings of, to the rings of the ephod using a blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually, and you shall put in the breastplate the judgment of the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Woo. So here's a nice description of the of the uh, bre- uh, breastplate of judgment, and again that is going to represent not only we saw on the weight of the shoulders of service and serving God and serving His people, but we will see that God wanted to make it very clear that the priesthood represents also the sons of god here the the t- uh, 12 tribes and again the stones we don't know exactly the color of the stones and all these kinds of things we kind of have a sense of what the diamond looked like and kinds of that stuff but remember they you know hebrew goes from right to left right so those orders must have been right to left of the stones and that each of those ro- rows and the four rows completing the 12 uh, three stones per row and the chains that would connect to the, uh, the top to come down to the, t- the breastplate. And then the chains here and goes around. It was firmly put in place so it would not be falling or coming off. Now you can imagine how beautiful that is. And, and the fact that that's folded up into a, almost like a span of a nine by nine kind of a size. You see now what was the purpose of what will be going inside the pocket of that breastplate. And that is the urim and the thummim. So we see here, it's again beautiful, it's, it's, it's called the breastplate of judgment because it contains these two ocular stones, the urim and the thumim, which means God's judgment might be made known. That's how God, they seek after God's will, is using those two stones. Now it's interesting because as you take a look at this and they've got these engraved and they've got the, the people laying right there on his chest. It wasn't enough for the high priest to, be, to work uh, uh, for the people, for God and for God's people. And, and, and representing what the weight on his shoulders is for that. But he must also love the people and he must bear that on his heart. The people have to be a love for his people that he is going to be serving. He has a love for God, but he has to have a love for God's people. And it's so important even for today. A lot of people say, I love God, but they do not love people. You can have people who are in positions like a priest who have this love for their God and their position that they hold for God because it's like a job for them, but they have no love for the people. You shouldn't be in the ministry. If you only have love for people, but you're not willing to have a love for God and follow God's ways and God's truth, then you should not be in the ministry. You must have a desire for God's truth and to be obedient to God's truth and to then love God and love His people. That's what it means to not only just serve, but also to love In regards into the ministry here, the priesthood was to have that. And he was reminded each time as a high priest to go in and forth the people of Israel. He had to always remind himself, or he is always reminded when he put that outfit on, this garment, that the work rests on his shoulders and the love for the people, why he's doing it day in and day out in the ministry is for God's people. Now as we take a look at this, the... um, I love when you study this a little bit more in detail. We don't have time today, obviously, to get through all this to do this. But Revelation 21 verses 19 and 20 describes the foundations of the walls of the new Jerusalem. With a series of 12 gemstones which may answer some of these stones in the breastplate. And we see the continuation of uh, from Genesis all the way through here in Exodus into Revelation. How God is using these gemstones as a way of communicating the preciousness of his people. Now, when we take a look at this Urim and Thummim a little bit more, three times in this, in this passage, again, the, breast, the breastplate is called the, breast, the breastplate of judgment. And it is these two things that are tools are used by the priest to discern to discern God's will for the people. Now, the Urim and Thummim are occasionally mentioned, not only here, but also in the book of Numbers, 1 Samuel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. So you will see that when you go through your studying have mentioned God using it. And also, if you know Judges and you look at that, you'll see it really kind of implied passages of the use of the Urim and Thummim there as well. They mean lights and perfection. That's what Urim and Thummim means. Lights and perfections. We aren't sure exactly how they are used. Some believe that they're used when they're making a decision and they have, they come to God, they're praying and asking God to reveal what they should do. Bring to light God what we should do. Make sure whatever it is, Lord, it's perfect in your perfect will. What is that? And what happens is the priest would then, high priest would then ask God this question and then reach into that breastplate and pull out one of the other, the Urim or Thummim. And depending on which one, would give them a yes or a no or bring clarity of the perfect light and perfect perfection of his will in the situation. So, however that plays out, we don't know exactly. But there's certainly. it worked because God said that was the method or tool he was using to bring about understanding to the high priest his perfect will. So that's what you have to understand. We don't know what, it, what and how it worked. All you need to know is God said this was going to be. This is what you're going to use and you're going to use it to seek after my perfect will to bring light of the situation. And when you do that, then you're in God's will. And God's will then shows you that you have the confidence of moving forward. Now, sometimes people say, well, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all, right? But many consider these two, these two, these, these two items as tools of discernment, but of, of something antiquated. But so many times, think about what you do. God, is this your will? And you go based on feelings, You go based on feelings when you make your decisions every day, day in and day out. But feelings will what? Will mislead you, we know the scriptures say. But that's how you do it. You don't reach into the breastplate, pull out a a little stone. You go, how do I feel today? I don't feel like serving God today. I don't feel like showing up. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like doing that. I know it's my responsibilities. I know that's what I'm supposed to do. and I know I'm supposed to call it. I know I said I would do it, but I don't feel like doing today. No big deal. So how, how quickly we sit there and say, oh man, how, how old-fashioned, or quaint, antiquated, is it uses urim and thumims and trying to decide of discerning of God's judgment. But we use feelings. We use outward appearances to make decisions about things. We make outwardly judgments. Oh, I don't, I don't like the way that person looks. So you make a de- decision uh, about that. Oh, I don't like the way that is playing out. I don't like, that. I don't like the feel and the vibe in the place. You know? We do all kinds of things that are less discerning and more emotional. But think about this. The key effectiveness of the Urim and Thummim was the, was the fact that God's word said that they were going to use these items to seek God's direction and perfect will of the situations that they were asking God about. They were saying, God's word said to use these, I'm going to use these. And they used them. And God used them to direct their, the direction of what they needed to do or not to do. So basically they were coming back to God's word. God's word said to use the Urim and Thummim. And so that's what they did. But think about it today. Our same focus is the same thing. We are to go back to God's word to have his word guide us in the discernment of what he wants us to do. Bring light, God, to the situation. Bring your perfect will. Show me, Lord. And you do that today by what? By going to his word. Not based on feelings, not based on some vibe you were feeling, but what does His Word say? Because we want His perfect will, and we—I I always jokingly say it, it came from like the, the saying from—I'll um, call him I'll call the guy uh, the old the old man, the old guy who's always telling jokes, right? The old man's always telling jokes, but this time it came to him, and we'll call him—we'll call him the old the 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 old preacher. So they came to the old preacher. This this youth, you know, the youth. The youth loves asking questions. And they came to the old preacher and said, "Preacher, I need you to help me explain to me what is this Erman Thuman thing." And the old preacher said, "Well, it's kind of like this. When I need to know God's will, I just get my Bible." I do a lot of using and thumbing and through my Bible until God shows me what it is that He wants me to do. So you Christians, you youth, you just keep taking and take God's Bible and keep using it and thumbing through it, and you will find God's perfect will for your life. That is what the ermine and Thummim was all about. Are you got it? Clicking? That's an amen. You like that one? I always thought it was a funny one. Verses 31 through 35, we see the robes. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. So now this is the next layer under the ephod and the breastplate. So the breastplate was first, then you have the ephod, and under the ephod, then you have a little bit longer garment called the, the robe. It goes down to the knees. And look what happens. There shall be an opening of his his head in the middle of it. So imagine it's one fabric with a hole in the middle, and you put it up and you slide it over the head. It's like an apron. It comes down through, right? It's one piece. It shall be woven of binding of all around its opening like the opening of a uh, in a coat of mail so that it does not tear. So it was very sturdy and a nice solid collar around it so it wouldn't rip. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem and bells of gold between them all around. So all around there's a little frilly of this, little pie a little frillies around the end of that and every, with was a little golden bell and then this little pom-pom or it could have been etched into the material but it could have been a little pom-pom threads And between each one that and the bell and the pom-pom bell is a or make at the very at the very bottom of that blue apron, right? And as the gold bell and the promiganate and the gold bell and a promiganate upon the hem of the robe all around, and it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and his sounds will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. (laughs) so when you're sitting there and he's making a decision oh it's time for me to go into the most holy place I don't know what I got nothing to wear today what am I going to wear so no no he exactly knew exactly what he was supposed to wear he was supposed to wear this this outfit that God said to make for him and he was to wear this why because there was a purpose for each and everything that he was to wear and in this case, this robe had these bells, which was most important, because people could not go in there. Only Aaron, the high priest, could go into the most holy of places. And so they couldn't see what he was doing in there with the ark. What was he doing? He was doing all the sacrifices, and all the things he was doing. What was he doing? And they would listen to the bells, and as long as the bells were moving, that means he was moving. Oh, he's at the left-hand side of the, of the plate. No, no, now he's moving to the right-hand side. Why? Because they were the great anticipation. Will God receive the sacrifice that the high priest is coming to cover the sins of the entire tribe of the, the people? So your life and my, their life was dependent upon the sacrifice that the high priest did to represent you. And you were in anticipation if this was going to go well. If it wasn't, what would happen? The high priest would die. Now they're saying in the scripture that they would have a string attached even to the, the ankle of the high priest. Why? Because no one else was allowed to go in there. And if it stopped ringing, bell stopped ringing, that was a bad sign. They would pull that man out because they could not go in. So you can imagine what that, the pressure of Aaron as the high priest going in there and doing and making sure he does it exactly to the description. Why the pomegranates? There's are the symbols of fruitfulness. They were the uh, they were they were the, the 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 being the fruitfulness of the sacrifice that was being offered to God. The bell and is and along the skirt was a again the testimony of of, of obligation of the testimony, and the bearing of fruit and the and the and the representation of 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 joy of what's happening in regards to that moment. Then we see verses 36 through 38, the turban and in, in, in engravings. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave it on it, like the engraving of the signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue uh, cord, and it, that it may be on the turban, and it shall be on the front of the turban, so it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hollow in all of their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead and that he may be accepted before the Lord. So this turban, again, if, if you go back and there's a Talmud said that uh, it's about eight yards of material and it would be wrapped around like a, a turban with a blue uh, stripe to it. But there would be this gold uh, crown that would kind of be in front of it. And on that piece that's on his forehead it was called holiness to the Lord. So this, it indicated, first and foremost, the high priest was the servant of God and not man. Why are they in the ministry? Because you serve God. You do not serve man. Serving man is a reflection of as God leads, you would lead his people. But it's first and foremost, it's always you're, uh, you're a, uh, in the priesthood, in the ministry, to serve God. So in every gifts... As we see that Aaron was to bear the iniquity of the holy things, every gift and sacrifice Aaron and the other priests brought before the Lord were touched with iniquity. Yet God's appointed priests and gods brought them in and God's appointed way. and if they were accepted by God, that was the key determination at that point in time. And if they did it God's way, it was accepted. If you did it in your own way, it was what? Rejected. Cain and Abel. Kind of a moment, right? Do you come? How do you get get to come and worship God and sacrifice and do things for God however you want to? You do it according to how He wants you to do it. That's the most important when we serve God. But then to be acceptable, it had to be of the holiness. It's not about legalistic list of rules here. But the power of the life of a separated life for God. We see that in Hebrews. Chapter 12, verse 14 reinforces this principle set here in the Old Testament. Reinforced in the New Testament, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. We must approach God and people in a holy manner, in a way that is honoring and and glorifying of God. We must do it in a pursuing of peace with all people. And it's important of all people, not just the easy ones, but all people. And verse 39, you shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread, and you shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. So we see some more basic garment elements here of the tunic, which is the white uh, garment underneath. It's the base of the, of, the, of the outfit, then it comes the robe, then it comes the ephod, then the breastplate, and then you have the, uh, the, the turban, and there's a sash around the middle that brought it all together and uh, as a belt around the waist of the priest, and, uh, and it, it's a wonderful getup that God has designed just for the priest here. But what's the purpose and what does it stand for? We see here in verses 40 through 43 that for Aaron's sons you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them as well, right? So they are to be outfitted. Not quite as ornate as the high priest, but they're still to have that. And you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty and you shall put them uh, on Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him and you shall anoint them. Here's key note here. Notice the three things In your Bibles, you are to anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. So we see that again. Why do you do this? Because they are to minister to the Lord as as priests in their positions that they're in. And you shall, verse 42, and you shall make... For them linen trousers to cover their nakedness so he adds a little more clarity of what the priesthood of the priests were to wear they're to have trousers under that that tunic they were to have them and we can see that they were to, to have that linen trousers to cover their nakedness they shall reach from the the waist to the thighs they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statue forever to him and his descendants after him. So they have to also have some... Uh, the, the, the uh, the undergarments of linen so that you know they're in a lot of layers they're sweating <laughs> so that that under undergarment underwear had to be in linen as well but that they better cover their nakedness because if something happened to the the tunics and stuff coming up they're not to expose any skin to the people obviously in their uh, in their work for God here in regards to that so what is the anointing and consecration and sanctification here They're very, very important and essential aspects of preparation for his servants that we see here. And they are to be separated because they indicated three specific things that God wanted the people to know. First, the anointing. The anointing describes the application of that sacred oil that would be put and poured upon the head. And it's to to express that continuous use or expression that we see in the Bible. It represents what? Or who I should say? It represents the Holy Spirit. So the priesthood at that time also needed to have the covering of the Holy Spirit in their lives to do the work that God's called them to do. That was represented through that sacred oil that would be anointed on their head. Two, this consecrate, the consecration is that, that word here in the Hebrew words of uh, meaning to the filling of an open hand or signifies the perfect equipment of the anointed one so that it can be do the actual work of the ministry. So, God's coming in to not only to anoint and empower, but he's coming in to consecrate and to provide the equipment, the tools, the necessary, the uh, the equipping of to do the work that God's called him to do. That's a consecration. And then finally, sanctification means literally to make clean, to refer to the spiritual and moral separation of the priests from all defilement or from the world. So God is setting you also up as well as the priesthoods. You must be anointed in regards to the power of the Holy Spirit to then he then equips you and has the tools and necessary to do the work. But you must be sanctified, separated and not defiled by the world and the things of the flesh. And us too, just like the priesthood, to be able to be effective and to do what God's called you to do, those three things are very, very important. Now think about the contrast here. The contrast between Jesus' clothing and what the priesthood had in the Old Testament versus the New Testament with Jesus. Jesus wore no beautiful ephod, but the priest, uh, you know, did. But Jesus did have a purple robe for mocking. (laughs) They did do that to him, didn't they? We see the priests, you know, have all kinds of ornates and and stones and, and encased in gold and everything else. But God had no precious gems. Were on his shoulders. The only thing that he bared on his shoulder was what? The cross. The only thing that our Lord and Savior bare was a cross on his shoulders, not some gems. Jesus didn't have some breastplate on his to, to 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 remind him of his heart for for God's people. He died a broken heart for Israel and of all of mankind. That's what our Lord did. Jesus wore a seamless tunic, did he not? And it was not torn either. But they did strip that tunic off of his body when he went to the cross. Jesus heard no sound of beautiful little bells with little pom-poms of pomegranates on his outfit, did he? proving that he was the high priest. He didn't have any of that. The only thing that showed that he was the high priest of all was the fact that he heard the, not the bells, but the pounding of the nails into his hands and his feet. He didn't wear a turban. He wore a crown of thorns. He didn't have a head plate saying holiness to the Lord, did he? But he had a plate above his head while he was on the cross. The king of the Jews. Jesus had no linen trousers to cover and hide his nakedness, did he? When he went to the cross, they actually stripped him naked and he bore naked shame on that cross for us. What a contrast between what God had initially set as the priesthood in the Old Testament and then the, new, the, the high priest, Jesus, and how he comes in the New Testament and reveals how we are to live. A very simple and sacrificed life. We see now in Exodus 29, we see the purpose of the ceremony here that these the priests would be doing. And in the first part says, and this is what you shall do to them, to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. And Aaron and his sons, you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and you shall wash them with water. I'm sorry, I skipped right over. Sorry, let me start back over. And this is what you shall do to them, to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. So there are very specific instructions about a ceremony that they were to commit. We see this played out and actually carried out in Leviticus Leviticus chapter 8. And the purpose of this ceremony was to hallow or honor or to uh, bring about the setting the priests apart for God's purpose. And it was supposed to be very specific so people can see that. And you can see there in, at the end of verse 1 and through 2 and 3, the ingredients that they were to bring to the table to actually to consecrate here in the ceremony one is the young bull and the two rams without blemish any spots that's the consecration that could happen without shedding of sacrificial blood that had to have a sacrificial blood and these were the type of animals that God said you must come to the altar with the unleavened bread and the unleavened cakes that was the consecration could not happen besides the sacrificial blood but it could not happen without a true fellowship with God so the ceremony must have the bread for the fellowship with God and it's the breaking of bread as we see this symbol here uh, in these ingredients now in verse 4 the first thing that needed to happen when this is going to take place in the ceremony was a washing we see that as Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and you shall wash them with water Notice here, very important, that Aaron and the sons do not come to the opening of the tabernacle at the very front and wash themselves. Moses was to wash Aaron and his sons in a very humbled way out in front so everyone could see they were to be going to be washed and right there in front of everyone, and get dressed in front of everyone. And God wanted to make sure they they realized there was nothing on those bodies that were not of God. (laughs) Nothing. So Aaron and, and his sons couldn't sneak anything into the tabernacle whatsoever. As we will see here, this was not just uh, a ceremony for just anyone in Israel. This was a very specific ceremony that God had set up, just like the Nazarites vow. Remember that one? And number six. But here the ceremony was described and carried out in Leviticus 8 for the priests and his and the high priests, in this case Aaron and his sons. And by doing this, they were to consecrate and did not take place. Uh, inside the tabernacle, but they had to take out uh, aside the tabernacle in regards to this cleansing. But cleansing had to start first. A cleansing was to be received by Aaron and his sons. Before anything could happen, a cleansing had to take place. And Aaron and his sons did not wash again themselves, they received a washing. Now, We cannot be cleansed from our sin either, can we? Without being humbled first and being washed by God. To be able to do anything for God, you have to understand you must be humbled. Just like Aaron and his priests, they were to be humbled and be washed. We too need to be humbled and be washed. And this is the greater cleansing of a one-time deal for us, right? It was a one-time deal for them as well. this one time they had to have this happen. After this, all they had to do is have their hands and feet washed when they went in. But like the ancient priests, every Christian is washed by the work of God's word. We see that in Ephesians 5:26. We are then regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5. And this cleansing work was accomplished by who? By the death of Jesus for us. That's who brings the cleansing work on our life. We see that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And we obtain that washing by how? Not by physical, but by faith. Make that connection. Verse 5 and 9, the clothing and the anointing here, we see that when you shall take the garments and put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and the gird him with the intrinsically woven band of the ephod, you shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban and you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them and you shall gird them with uh, uh, sashes and Aaron and his sons and put the hats on them and the The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual status or statue. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. Here is the moment where everything is set up. The priesthood by God. And Moses was to follow these directions to the T. And once this happened, this is to go forward until God said no longer. Which we see when we get to the New Testament, of course. But after cleansing, the priest had to be clothed. When we're cleansed, what happens? We're then clothed with what? The robe of righteousness. Once they got cleansed, they were then robed with these specific garments that God said to be made for them. Not their own clothes. But the clothes that God said were to be designed and and used for these purposes. Um, But they were provided to them. They were not expensive to buy they couldn't labor to make them they were not skillful enough to make them and buy them and, and take care of it themselves they simply had to put them on and as dear children of god we too our garments are something we can't buy you can't make you can't earn you can't do you must be clothed by God himself with the robe of righteousness, and it's only bestowed upon you and I because of the boundless love that God has for you. And then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. So not only were they cleansed, were they clothed, but they they were then anointed. Again, a picture of the Holy Spirit. Being poured upon their heads, indicating this was the given, a great measure, and not some measure, but a great measure poured upon them to empower them to do the work of the priesthood that God has called them to do. And we too, like the ancient priests, are anointed as every believer to be anointed to do what God's called us to do. We see that in 1 John 2:20 that may we, we may all not only receive, but able to walk in and by faith. Then in verse 10 through 14, we see the sin offering. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull, and you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle meeting, and you shall, shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the basin of the altar and you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them at the, on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin is an orful, and you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. So we see here um, that the washing at the door of the tablets was one aspect of the symbolic cleansing from sin. The next one we see is that there had to be the punishment of the guilty. There had to be punishment for sin, for the guilty. And Aaron and his sons were to come in and with this animal, they were to place their hand on the head of the animal. And the the word is that they weren't lightly touching, but literally pressing onto the head because it was a sign of their saying, we're pressing all of where we fell short in our life we are placing on this animal who will be sacrificed for that sin and for the, all the sin of the people of Israel because they represented the people of Israel. That took place and it was the sin offering because uh, sin has to be paid for by blood. So the old the idea here of this ancient uh, uh Hebrew word of altar was what? Killing place. It was a place of death. It had to be made holy and was consecrated to God. And God said that must take place here by these, uh, these priests and uh, at the altar. The altar of the new covenant, the cross, is transformed from a place to death to a place set apart to bring life for, life, for the people. Now we see not only the sin offering, but the burnt offering, verses 15 through 18. You shall take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hand on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around on the altar. And you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by the fire to the Lord. So here we see a burnt offering as the sin offering before it. The burnt offering was a symbolic a way of receiving the sins of the priest and again they laid their hands on the head of the animal and confessed their sins right there to make sure when that is sacrificed that animal that their sins would be taken care of and they would do that and they would take the blood sprinkle it on the altar and then pour out the rest there in that basin alongside and they were uh they were to do that to, to, again, that's how the covering and the removing of the sin, not only of their lives, for the, but also for the people. Now we see the consecration offering here in verses 19 through 21. It says, you shall also take the other ram and Aaron and his sons and shall put it on their, their hands on the head of the ram, and then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons on the thumb of the right hand and on the, on the big toe of the right foot and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar and you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the uh, anointing oil and sprink- sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his sons' garments with him. So we see very something I think is very important here. And the fact that in this consecration, again, it's even now more specific and personal to Aaron and the priest here. Because not only do they take and put their hand again and the sacrifice of this next ram, but they took the blood and this time put a dab on the earlobe, on the thumb, and on the big toe. Because why? Because we see that this, first of all, the right hand is the power, the power of the hand. That's what most people are right-handed. Most power is from the right, not the left. So that represents the the, the um the, the work and the, and the ability here <clears throat> of what God is called to do because they needed to hear differently because the blood was on the ear. The sacrifice should cause the priest to hear differently than the rest of the world. The, 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 uh, the, the blood on the thumb represents the way you work, you should be working differently than the rest of the people of the world. The blood on the toe should cause you to show and remind you how you walk should be different than the rest of the world. Because you've been consecrated. You've been set apart. You have been made set apart for God for God's work and ability to go do and this is to remind the priest you have you better listen differently you better be working differently you better be walking differently than the rest of the people because you've been set apart to do what I've I've called you to do in the ministry and you shall be some of the blood on the altar it was sprinkled on their garments and mixed with the, the, the oil, and a mixture sprinkling on the priests. Spurgeon says, Yes, brethren, we need to know that double anointing. We need to know that double anointing the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us, and the oil of the Holy Spirit, which perfumes us. It is well to see how these two blend in one. They must. Always go together. The blood of Jesus, which cleanses us, and the Holy Spirit that perfumes us, cleans us up, changes our life. That must be happening. And then verse 22 through 28, we see the wave offering here. Also, you shall take the fat of the ram and the fat of the trail and the fat of the coverings of the entrails and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat of them on them in the right thigh. For it is a ram of consecration and one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil and one wafer of the basket of unleveled bread. And that is before the Lord. And you shall put all of these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons. And you shall wave them as a, a wave offering Before the Lord, and you shall receive them back from their hands, and and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord, and as an offering made by fire to the Lord. And then you shall take the breast of the ram, of the uh, Aaron's consecration, and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering which is waved. And the thigh of the heave offering which is raised of that which is for Aaron and of that which is of his sons. And it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statue forever. For it is a heave offering and it shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings that is in their heave offering to the Lord. So the second ram here is used to consecrate, in the consecration ceremony. And his blood was applied not only to the ear, the hand, the foot, and the priest. But it was used as a heave offering and a peace offering before. It came from the, you know, again, the, the sequencing of here is important. Because remember, the washing had to take place to the priest first. Then they were clothed by God in this case Moses used Moses to clothe them then the blood anointment of the priest had to take place as his next step then they were able to then eat which means that continuous fellowship or relationship of the priest with God see many times people say I can take communion however I want to they haven't been cleansed they haven't sins haven't been forgiven they're not born again. They're not believers. That's why the scripture tells, do not take in an un- unworthy, unholy manner. So they too, they couldn't just walk in without being washed. They couldn't be, walk in with just any clothes, their flip-flops and whatever. Not to say, again, they were clothed as priests to do the work of God. They must follow the details of what God's put on their heart, or in the, in this case, told them they need to wear and there had to be a blood atonement for the of the priests and then they were able to then sit and have this this breaking of bread and food and eating of the meat to bring it all together and again it's not only to Spurgeon said it something like this dead men can't eat you must be made alive, and you ha- it's an active form to be able to, to partake in a meal, to partake in the, the receiving of what God's meal or his, his, the bread of life, to receive what he has for you. You cannot be dead in your, in, your, in your trespasses. You can't be dead in the spirit because you must be alive. You must be born again to be able to receive what God has for you, to be able to, to work in your life. So, again, we must understand the connection here between the physical but also a spiritual life. And and to be fed and sustained as a believer, we must, again, you must be born again. You must be alive to be able to receive. Because eating is personal. Eating is an inward act. It's also an active act. It's active. It's something you have to participate in. And it must be eating as something, a sense of a need or a sense of satisfaction that comes from that. And so many times people as a believers and their continual relationship with Jesus is acting like they're, 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 they're not interested in feasting of what God has for them. They're not interested in personally knowing and receiving the, the food of life of what God's word is to feed you. So many people have no interest not only to receive it or even actively pursue it and to read the word of God. So many people just sit there and, and, and think it's just an outward look. It's an outward entertainment. It's an outward looking view. I look godly, don't I? Don't I look like I'm a churchgoer? I got the nice clean haircut and nice clothes and my suit and tie on. And everything. I mean, it's amazing how we think the way we think, but it's not lined up with the scripture. We must see this, if you want to be healthy, if you want to continue in your relationship with Jesus to be healthy, you must understand, you must eat personally, receive and partake of what Jesus has on your behalf. You must receive it inwardly, not just externally trying to play out the game. You, you can't take food and rub it on your body and expect it's going to give you any benefit. You can't just sit there and and be around the food and think you're going to benefit from the food. Even eating actively, sometimes, you know, medications can be injected into you. But food you must digest. And we must have a sense of need for it. A hunger and a thirst for what God has for us. And then we see here the week of consecration and in the holy garments of Aaron shall be his his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. That son who becomes priest in his place shall be uh, them on the seven on for seven days and when he enters the tabernacle of uh, meeting to minister in the holy place, and you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place, and then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall eat those things which the things with which the atonement was made to consecrate consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or of the bread remains until the morning, you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement and you shall cleanse the altar when you make the atonement for it and you shall anoint it. To sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. So here as we see them setting them up, they go through a seven-day ritual, a seven-day ceremony to make this all happen. As the Aaron leaves, and as the old high priest leave, anyone new coming in, they had to go through the seven-day ritual again, exactly according to what God outlined here. Uh, specifically now verse 38 now this is what you shall offer on the altar two lambs of the first year day by day continually one lamb you shall offer in the morning the other lamb you shall offer at twilight with the one lamb one one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah a flour mixed with one-fourth of a, a hint of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hint of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma and an offering made by fire to the Lord. So again, at the ceremony of consecration, the uh, the priests were to continue to do this on a daily sacrificing, a daily one in the morning, one in the evening time. And there was a drink offering. There was, a, again, all of this is according to what God said must do to be a sweet smelling aroma to him. But this is what pleased him because of that. The Apostle Paul used the same terminology of a drink offering in Philippians 2.17 when he was expressing his complete devotion to God and his possible soon martyrdom. I'm a poured out drink offering. I give my life completely to the Lord. That's what was happening with the priesthood back in the Old Testament. And then we see why God wanted this daily sacrifice. It says, They shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I meet you to speak with you. And there I meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Why do they do this? Because God says, I'm going to show up, I'm going to meet there, and I'm going to speak to you. That is why I need you to come to the the tabernacle and come here and consecrate as the priests will, and then worshiping uh, as a nation, and they were to meet and to speak with his people. That's what God wanted this all for to take place. And then he says in verse 44 through 46, And I will sanctify, so I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. Here it is again, that same thing here, noting, And I will dwell among the people of Israel, and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them, and I am the Lord their god so he says here in the final part of chapter 29 i know we've gone over but it's very important that we don't lose this stay with me connect back here with me here god has a plan god outlined this very detailed specific plan and the purpose of that priesthood to be able to help the people of Israel there in the, in the desert on the way to the promised land. And these priesthood, these priests were to do it specifically. Why? Because God wanted to dwell among his people. God wanted the people to hear from him. And there was a very specific way that God wanted them to worship him and to honor him and to glorify him. I mean, right down to the details of what they wore as the priesthood, that that attention to detail, that much love, that much uh, specifics, was what God knew was needed for that time in the Old Testament for His people. But again, everything we've been learning—the tabernacle, the furniture, the 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 clothing, the garments, the sacrifice—all this continue to make the connection and the theme of the connection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he has done and will do and has done for us coming to this earth and taking on a body like you and I and going to the cross to be able to to pay the ultimate sacrifice as the Lamb of God here for you and I. So not only to have our sins just covered, but to completely be wiped out. By the grace of God, that when he went to the cross, it completely wiped out. He didn't have to continue sacrificing every day in some temple or in some, in some church where you had to sacrifice. The sacrifice was complete by our Savior, Jesus Christ. But notice what they had to do in leading up to when the, the Savior, the Messiah, was to come. This is what God said that needed to happen, waiting for his son to show up and to be able to do what he will do for the entire world. Don't lose the, the missing here. Go and look through and continue to study all these intricacies and make the connections of uh, what Jesus has done for you in, in, the, in the New Testament, going to the cross and the things that he's done. Again, all the way from to the uh, complete uh, consecration or sanctification uh, of uh, what we see here in the Old Testament because God made it clear who performs the work of consecration he does he did it then and he does it in your life today we are to are tempted we're so tempted at times in our walk with Jesus that we somehow can sanctify ourselves through work that we somehow, if we just immerse ourselves in a process of this religiosity and do it religious rituals and we just serve, 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 serve God, that somehow you're sacrificing and somehow you're earning God's love and you're pleasing God and all the sins that you did through the week or through that day are somehow covered because you came to church or because you read the Bible, you, your sins will be covered. Let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, Jesus' blood is the only one that can cleanse you, clean you, and sanctify you for him. There is no other way. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. You can't do all the religious stuff. You freely get to worship him, and you freely get to serve him, and you freely get to do the good works that God's called you to do. Not because you have to, Because you get to want to. By his grace, he allows you to worship.